Good afternoon, Lafayette. It's Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number, or use that KPL app chat to be part of the conversation. There's loads to talk about, and actually, I don't want to talk about the debate. I don't want to talk about the town hall. Nothing changed. I think Donald Trump is still the heavy favorite in Iowa. Uh, the debate didn't really give us anything extra other than the fact that if Nikki Haley says to go to DeSantisLies.com one more time, I think I'm going to actively campaign against her. I would rather go knock on doors for Donald Trump than go to DeSantisLies.com. That's a horrible campaign. It's it, it's become a thing in, in these uh, campaign cycles. It's become a thing for... Uh, candidates to say, hey, go check out more at my web. No, I'm not going to check out more at your website. You're on stage. You're behind a podium to tell me why I should vote for you. And you spent the entire time trying to direct me to a website to make me do more work. No, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that later. I want to talk first about what I think is the more important news of the day. Everybody's talking about the presidential politics of it all. I want to talk about... Inflation. Just seconds away from the December CPI, it's a number the markets have been anxiously awaiting, getting a check on consumer inflation right now. The Dow futures up by about 33, S&P futures up by 10, the Nasdaq up by 88. That was, this is from this morning on CNBC, the inflation report having just come out at that point. Rick Santelli is standing by. Rick. Yes, our consumer price index read for the month of December by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, expected to be up two-tenths of a percent, is up three-tenths of a percent. And if you strip out food and energy, it is exactly as expected, which is up three-tenths of a percent. Just like in the rearview mirror, that headline number is two-tenths higher than the rearview mirror, which was up one-tenth, and the prior month, October, was at zero. That was the lowest since May of 2020. Let's go long here. Year-over-year CPI, expected to be up 3.2, is up 3.4, up 3.4. The best it's been was 3.0 in June of last year. That was the best since March of 2021. And finally, there is progress. My favorite, the CPI core, year over year, which has not been below 4% since May of 2021. I could now take that out of my repertoire of what I say on CPI day, because 3.9%, 3.9%, which is the best since 3.8 in May of 2021. Sorry, so to recap, inflation got hot again. In most areas, it was hotter than expected. Core CPI, which strips away food and energy, it came down year over year just a little bit, but still ran hotter than expected. Month to month, it's not good. The consumer price index is 0.3% per, uh, for the month, higher than the 0.2 estimate at a time when most economists and policymakers see inflationary pressures easing on a 12-month basis, the CPI closed 2023 up 3.4. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones had been looking for a year-over-year reading of 3.2. So they had expected it to go up. It went up hotter than they liked. 
the core CPI, volatile food and energy prices, rose 0.3 for the month and uh, 3.9 from a year ago. Uh, that's higher than the estimates. So, yes, Rick Santelli is excited about core CPI being below 4%, but it's still high, hotter and higher than what economists were hoping for at 3.8%. A lot of the uh, increase came to rising shelter costs. That category rose 0.5% for the month and accounted for more than half of the core CPI increase. On an annual basis, shelter costs increased 6.2%, or about two-thirds of the rise of inflation. Shelter prices are going up. Food prices went up 0.2 in December, the same as November. Egg prices surged at 8.9%, uh, but still down 23.8% annually. Eggs still expensive, just not as, just did not get more expensive, uh, or it, it the price increase uh, a little bit less than it than it was. Um, energy posted a 0.4% gain after sliding uh, 2.3% in November as gasoline rose a little bit. Natural gas declined a little bit. Airfares, uh, airline fares increased 1% for the month. All right, so food and energy fluctuating a little bit. Shelter costs were uh, a big increase. The uh, the economy, inflation still running hotter than what most people like. That's probably going to negate any hope of the Fed cutting the interest rates uh, the first quarter of the year. A lot of folks were hoping that with inflation cooling the way it was, that uh, the Fed would start cutting interest rates because we're at a point where inflation's come down from where it was. Things are still more expensive. It's just not the prices aren't rising as fast as they were. But if inflation is actually ticking back upward, that's going to make the Fed nervous. That doesn't necessarily mean another uh, another interest rate hike is coming, but they're not going to cut the interest rate after that report, you're going to need to at least see January and maybe February start to, to, to tick back down before they look at cutting uh, cutting the interest rate. And you'll notice you'll notice it must not have been a great inflation report because everybody in the media focused on the debate last night, and they focused on Donald Trump last night. And, and all everybody has opinions as to who won the debate, who lost the debate, what Donald Trump was like, everything like that. The, as I said at the beginning of the show, the fact of the matter is, if there was a winner of the debate, it was Ron, of the, the debate, it was Ron DeSantis, but there wasn't a winner of the debate because you had two people on stage. The front runner was not on stage. The fourth place guy was not on stage. Chris Christie had dropped out and didn't even make it to the stage in the first place. It was a debate between two people fighting for second place, and it looks like Nikki Haley might even be coming into second place in Iowa. That would probably mean the end, uh, whether he and his campaign admitted or not, that would probably mean the end of Ron DeSantis' campaign for president. You can't spend all the money that you spent. And Nikki Haley... Uh, emphasized a little too much, I think, but did rightly point out that his campaign had blown through $150 million and has gone and there's nothing to show for it. I think that's in pretty that's pretty important to note. Uh he is trending downward. He is uh he, he's not doing well. I like Ron DeSantis. He's done a great job in Florida. I just 
I wish he had a better campaign team. His his campaign team is very online. They focus on a lot of the things that people who are heavy into social media pay attention to. But the bulk of what you see from Ron DeSantis is from the very online. He doesn't get a whole lot of traction in the real world. The people who meet him and who talk to him, the people he's glad handing in Iowa, they love him. And so there's a chance that maybe come Monday, come the Iowa caucuses, he'll be able to do to perform better than he's polling right now. I just don't know that how that happens. If the polling holds up, Ron DeSantis is not going to be able to show very much, despite the fact that he uh, ran in all, I mean, he ran hard in all 99 counties in Iowa. You don't do that without some serious resource investment. Nikki Haley, meanwhile. I know that Nikki Haley is not y'all's favorite. She's not my favorite either. I do like Nikki Haley. I enjoyed her time in uh, the UN. I enjoyed her time as governor of South Carolina. She was the right person for both of those jobs. She is a classic neocon. The problem with Nikki Haley is that she has terrible establishment advisors. And they are running some Romney-level tactics. Now, in 2012, Mitt Romney's campaign decided they were going to run a more moderate campaign. They were going to, they were going to say the conservative talking points. They were, going to do, they were going to talk the conservative talk, but the campaign was then turning around to conservatives themselves and basically saying, we don't need you. We're going to win these folks in the middle. And it did not work. It actually uh, alienated a lot of conservatives. They did not feel very motivated to vote. The other part of it, the other part of Romney's failures is, I've mentioned it before, Project Orca. Project Orca was a get-out-the-vote effort from the Republican consultants and advisors who were mostly in Washington, D.C., who spent all of this money and all of this and built this digital infrastructure and everything like that paying themselves and paying their friends, essentially, to build this Project Orca. And on Election Day 2012, it completely broke. And so everything they invested into this new age get-out-the-vote effort completely tanked because the consultants and the grifters were paying themselves rather than getting a decent system built. And rather than doing the, uh, the tried-and-true get-out-the-vote, get, get boots on the ground, that sort of thing. So in alienating conservatives... And focusing on the wrong type of campaigning, Mitt Romney lost to a very beatable Barack Obama in 2012. Fast forward to now. Nikki Haley's campaign consultants are very clearly some of the same folks who were advising Romney or of the same ilk. Of the same ilk as the Romney advisors. And it's a problem. It's a problem for Nikki Haley because she has a great story. She has a great voice. She is a very conservative person. If you've met her, if you've followed her career, she's a very conservative person, a good, solid conservative. And her political instincts have largely been correct up until she decided to run for president. When she started running for president, she started listening to the consultants more than to her own instincts. And as a result, She's really kind of lost control of all that goodwill she built up. Nikki Haley, you should know, is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that Republicans 
have become so diverse when it comes to gender in Congress. And in governor's mansions, a lot of Republican women who are in office now and have won office recently did so because Nikki Haley was building up a pack that focused specifically on Republican women and getting them elected and did so to great success in several areas. She played to her strengths. She played up her instincts. She followed her instincts and did a lot of good in a lot of those elections between her time as U.N. ambassador and her time running as president. But now she's running as president and she is getting awful, awful campaign advice. And that led to a bad debate performance last night. 232-1542 is the number. Or like Scott, you can give a shout out on the app, the KPL News app. It's your 5 o'clock news cruise brought to you by Service Chevrolet just around the corner at 1212 Ambassador Caffrey and Lafayette. We're going to take this break. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or you can use the KPL app chat. Just want to remind you, it's your 5 o'clock news cruise brought to you by our friends just around the corner, Acadiana's number one Chevy dealer, nine years in a row, talking, of course, about service Chevrolet here in Lafayette, 1212 Ambassador Caffrey in Lafayette, and you can also check them out online. They get tons of new inventory every day, used and new cars available on the lot, and you can check them out by going online, servicegm.com. It's Louisiana's largest selection of Chevrolet's uh, right at your fingertips. Just check them out online, servicegm.com. Find new roads with Service Chevrolet, their family, serving your family for the last 50 years. Go check them out, 1212 Ambassador Caffrey, servicegm.com. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we got a lot more to talk about. Uh, of course, your comments, too, if you use the KPL app chat. Scott, I'm going to get to your comments shortly. Uh, here on the show, more on the way, your news of the day, commentary, all that on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number. Or use the KPL app chat if you want to be part of the conversation. Scott uh, sent a message in earlier. One of the things he noted, uh, DeSantis for vice president, but he and Trump hate each other. And it would be a good idea. One, they do hate each other. They, they're not fans of each other right now. Last night, uh, both men took shots at each other from different stages. Uh, but also, there's a fact. I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, it would be very unwise for the Republican Party to have DeSantis and Trump on the same ticket. And here's why. According to the Constitution and how everything is laid out as far as electing the president. Electoral college votes from a state won't count if the president and vice president are from the same, the same state. Donald Trump claims his residence is in Florida. Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. So if they were to both be on the same ticket, then... Florida's electoral votes would not count, which would be a major loss for the Republican Party because they desperately need those electoral votes. So you can't put them on the same ticket. Again, not that either one would go on the other's ticket. It's just not going to happen. 
But strategically, as far as the election goes, it, it would be a major misstep because they both claim their residencies in the same state. And it's at this point, if you're qualifying for primaries, you can't qualify for the primaries uh, and be from one state and then in the uh, election for president claim to be, file as the candidate from another state. You, you I don't think you're able to do that. It would be interesting to see. I know a lot of folks think that Donald Trump has unfinished business and he needs to go back. Um, the the big response to that is he, he gets one term. And then you have to go through all this four year, uh, in another four years. I'm not sure that the Republicans really have the resources at that point to go through another bitter primary in four years. The other thing, the other thing that that should give a lot of folks pause, I've, I've mentioned this before, is those Republican resources. Right now, there are a lot of resources. Donald Trump's campaign is using a lot of resources for all of his legal stuff. That's resources that can't be used to campaign because they're going to pay lawyers, flying him out to these different courtrooms, things like that. A lot of folks who don't hate Trump but question whether or not he should be the nominee do so because they are worried the allocation of resources means more resources would be used to prop up Trump and not help Republicans get a bigger majority in the House and take back the Senate. If the Republicans can't get the White House and the Senate and extend their lead in the House of Representatives, you've got a problem. They need all the resources they can get for those races. On the flip side of that, who would you go for if not Trump? Ron DeSantis has spent a ton of money and has gone down in the polls. Nikki Haley has gone up in the polls because moderate Republicans are more in favor of her. But I'm not sure that she can win enough of the base right now to secure the nominee. The nomination. Vivek's going nowhere, and I don't think he should. Uh, it looks like, I mean, everything looks like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. I don't know how Haley or DeSantis break through that. With Chris Christie dropping out, there's a chance because the I think one of the latest polls, I think it was a Suffolk poll came out and showed two out of three of Christie's supporters would vote Hillary, uh, Haley second choice. That might be enough to push Nikki Haley over the top in New Hampshire. Again, like I said yesterday, does that break the perception that Trump is inevitable? I don't know. I kind of suspect it, but I don't know for certain because we've had a lot of reasons to not trust the polls lately. Be very interesting to see. 232 1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPL app chat. Some interesting news on the foreign policy front. This is from Bloomberg. First came tariffs on Chinese imports. 
then several rounds of sanctions and an outright embargo on exports of -of state-of-the-art computer chips. Now America's multi-year campaign to deter, counter, and stymie Xi Jinping's China, an effort that started with President Donald Trump and has escalated under the current administration, is shifting to a new battleground where the stakes are even higher than in trade or technology, finance. Last August, in Executive Order 14105, President Joe Biden directed the Department of Treasury to draw up rules barring U.S. investments in entities suspected of helping to develop next-generation weaponry for China's war machine. Soon, probably in the next few months, the ban will go into effect. On the one hand, kudos to the Biden administration for recognizing that China is a threat. Absolutely an assessment that has to be made in any administration that doesn't come to that conclusion in an assessment is not an administration worth taking seriously. The problem is the Biden administration has done everything else to prove they cannot be taken seriously. It is inherently a good thing to take on China. And if he is going to pass this, uh, if he's going to sign this executive order, if he's going to make this happen, great. But the Biden administration has talked very tough on China, but we've seen very few results. Add to that Iran feeling emboldened enough to take an oil tanker, the Houthi rebels feeling emboldened enough to attack U.S. military uh, ships and, uh, and freighters in the sea. Add to that other Islamic groups feeling emboldened to attack U.S. Uh, U.S. forces. Add to that Russia not giving a damn and invading Ukraine. Add to that everything else going on. And the Biden administration's response to a lot of these has been to basically send a sternly worded letter. An executive order is a great way to start, but what what is the Biden administration going to do to back it up? Are they even going to enforce it? Or... Is there something else about this that purposefully makes it seem stronger than it actually is? Because the administration's done that a lot, too. They've talked a really tough game on a lot of things, but have any their initiatives have been paper tigers. I somehow became a more hawkish neocon type the older I got. And I'm very wary of the Biden administration, and I was very wary of the Obama administration, not as much as I'm wary of the Biden administration, but I was very wary during the Obama years and now during the Biden years of their foreign policy because their foreign policy was a destabilizing one. Obama and now Biden... Their administrations run on the assumption that America is the problem on the global stage and that America's presence needs to be withdrawn from the global stage. To an extent, on the conservative side, a lot of the nationalism that we see in in the populist movement is based on the idea of kind of the George Washington, when when he left office, ideal that America shouldn't have long-lasting foreign entanglements. 
And to an extent, that's right. You don't need another Iraq war. You don't need another Afghanistan war. But the U.S. needs to be a stabilizing influence on the world stage. When the, when the U.S. is removed from a global presence on the world stage, bad things happen. When the U.S. was not taking an active role in the world, World War I happened, and it wasn't until the U.S. stepped in that things started wrapping up a little bit more neatly. Problem is, we were led by Woodrow Wilson, who was, uh, who, who remains one of the worst presidents of all time. Then, World War II. We stayed out of it. We stayed off the global stage as much as we could. And things got really bad in Europe. And then we stepped in. We fought a war on two fronts. And we were able to do that, but it was with U.S. absence. Fast forward to now, what's, what's our policy on the world stage now? Our policy has been to back away. And it's resulted in a destabilized world. Things weren't on fire when, Joe, when Donald Trump was in office. Donald Trump had a pretty competent administration, pretty competent foreign policy experts making the right moves on the, nat- on the global stage and wonder of wonders, despite what the media said, World War III never happened. But Joe Biden and, and Barack Obama have withdrawn the U.S. from the world stage. Barack Obama adjusted U.S. military policy. Our policy was to be able to fight a war abroad and at home, have the, have the military big enough to fight a war abroad and at home. The Obama administration changed our policy to where we would have a big enough military to do one or the other. And it stayed like that for Joe Biden. And now all the woke stuff, the DEI stuff, all that in the military made our military in some ways a laughingstock. I'm not sure what our military readiness is. For God's sake, our Secretary of Defense went AWOL and nobody knew for days. That doesn't bode well for the U.S., 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Let's take a break. We'll be back to wrap up the show. It's the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Back in just a moment. 